But anyway, having said that, anyway, anyway, give him a big old hallelujah. Come on up here, Justin. All right. You know, I I did the Bible school last week, and um, when he asked me, I kind of knew what he was going through yesterday when he said, can you preach tomorrow? Because you study for three hours, and then... And then you study for another hour to do Band of Brothers, and then you study again to do the city. You know, you got to pray at the city. Your brain feels like it's a, you know, a very soft, sweet baked potato at the, at the end of the end of the week. So when he said that, I said, absolutely. So I was praying, and I said, Lord, what would you like me to preach on? Because I've been studying um, Rick Renner's book, Signs You'll See Before at the End Times, just before Jesus comes. Man, I want to I wanna share some things so bad. Plus, I'm studying a book called Heaven Made Real. And in the book, it's talking about the millennial reign and what's going to actually happen. And I've been studying that because I want to preach that. I want to do like a whole series. And the Lord sent away home, preach on grace. And I said, Lord, I don't know nothing about grace. <laughs> so he said, preach on grace. So I started. And, you know, the funny thing is, is you know more you know, than you probably think you know sitting in a church that preaches a lot of grace and also living right, but sometimes I think that, um, you know, I have a, a tainted view of grace because I know so many friends who believe in grace, and yet their lives are a royal wreck. Because, you know, and I, I'm not, this is no shade towards Andrew Womack. I know somebody in his school, and he's really, and anybody can take any message, like Brother Hagin said, to an extreme. You can be in one side of the ditch or the other. He's so grace that he doesn't work He's believing God for everything. Grace has automatically taken over his life, providing for him. And it's not because his truck's broken down. He has no money. He has no job. He's not cutting his hair. And it's God's grace that's putting him through. And I'm like, come on, brother. You're, taking, you're really taking it to the extreme. And I know Andrew Womack teaches a lot on grace. But then, and I know that if you read Andrew Womack's book, Living by Grace and Faith, you'll see that he came from a background that was very legalistic. But then you read John Brevere's books, and he comes from a background that was so grace-driven that nobody lived right. Yeah. And so when you have to kind of pick up both books and read it to see the contrast that there is two sides of the Bible. And I want to talk about those sides tonight being a contrast between the real goodness of God and what grace really is. And then kind of the downside that if you abuse the grace message. Because yeah. um, sometimes when I hear about grace, I'm like, I don't want to hear another, you know, because a lot of the megachurches, they'll preach a lot on grace, and you're just like, I don't want to hear nothing else about grace. I need to change my life and live right and do, 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 do. And I think with the word of faith, us charismatics, the Lord was kind of dealing with me this week about you're, you're constantly, you can get into this point where you're doing so much for the Lord. And a lot of it starts as, out of it's in your heart. You're serving the Lord. But then it starts to turn into performance. You know, where you're like, I'm giving to the building fund. I'm tithing. I'm giving to Mark Hankins. God, where's my blessing at? Oh, my goodness. Okay, what am I doing wrong? Oh, last week I gave, last year I gave, uh, you know, up to you know, 5000 up to this point in the year. Oh, man, I need to up my giving. I'm not giving enough. You start really doing a, I'm not hitting all my marks. Yeah. You know, and then you start getting legalistic into works. And the Lord started going back to me and said, is it, is it my grace that I've given you that's where, as how you're going to prosper, or is it that if you give bigger than you gave last year is how you're going to prosper? That's good. I was like, oh, okay, whoops. We need to take a real big step back about the grace of God, and then I'll get so worked up trying to make sure that my life is staying blessed, that I'm tithing, that I'm giving, that the next thing you know I'm turning out, it's a self, it's almost like pride, it's me doing it. Yeah. And, then, and the next thing you know the Lord's like, I thought I was getting the glory out of this. Is it my grace that I've given you the ability to get wealth? Or is it that you're actually going to try to give bigger and bigger and bigger so you have more wealth and then it's really you who did it? And I say, well, I gave 10000 and this is why I'm so blessed. You know, and that's what kind of happens. It turns into a self-performing. And I get frustrated because I'm not seeing the blessings of God like I want to see them. And I'm, not, and I'm wondering why or I'm believing God for a healing and I'm quoting the word and I'm reading the healing books. And then all of a sudden I'm realizing I, I'm not feeling any better. And is it really that what the finished work of Jesus, that Jesus paid for healing, that actually it was his grace that gives us healing? Or is it that I'm going to quote 10 scriptures every morning? And don't get me wrong, you know, I, I love listening to Mark Hankins and, and getting up and quoting the word. But sometimes I've gotten to the point where I'm quoting the word so much that I walk out of the house and go, oh, I didn't quote my prosperity scriptures today. Crap. You know, I'm not watering the word. Oh, my gosh. And then it turns into performance. 
Oh, you didn't quote the word, and then Satan will use it. Right. You know, you didn't quote your prosperity scriptures this week at all. And then next thing you know, your faith is in your, what you're doing. And it's not in the finished work of Jesus. It's not in the, his grace that was sufficient for you and that enabled you to do these things. And so um, he started talking to me about that for me because I started get, you know, investing into some business things. And, and you know, obviously you want to grow in your finances. And then I didn't see things the way I thought I was going to see them. And I'm sowing into the building fund. I'm sowing into Pastor Mark. And then I'm getting frustrated. And the Lord's like, you need to rest in me. You, you give this to me. It's not, you're not going to make this happen. You, ha- you give, and the word says, given it shall be given, but then you're going to turn it over to me, and I'm going to be the one who brings the increase. Amen. You're not going to give, you know, keep giving, and, and that's the problem is I kept going, ah, oh, this should be working. I should be more blessed than I was last year. And, um, and I said, okay, Lord, that actually takes a huge load. I mean, even with prayer. You're praying for people, and the, the problem with, um, and, you know, your personal sp- responsibility is you're supposed to pray for people. But you can get to the point where you're praying for your children, you're praying for your neighbor, for your family, and you're quoting the scriptures over them, and you're an intercessor, and you're interceding for them, and you're thinking, now my interceding is going to get them saved then in church, when you should be interceding for them and then giving it to God. Amen. It's his, he's going to, the grace is going to work on their behalf, not because you're praying for four hours at night. And I mean, if he tells you, and so that really lifted a burden off of me because I'm praying for friends. I'm like, Lord, I've been praying for, five, for three years for these certain people. I want to see them in church. Why is this not working? Oh, well, it's me. It's my performance. I'm going to move God. No, you're, I'm not going to move God. He's already moved and sat down. What you're going to do is you're going to rest in the finished work of Jesus. He said to pray. We're going to pray, and then you're going to give it to him, and you're going to walk away from it. And then if that person doesn't come in for five years, I'll just keep praying, but I'm not going to carry the burden that my personal responsibility, which he did tell us to pray, but my personal responsibility doesn't need to carry the weight of that. That's where grace comes in and says, God, your grace, you know, with this person, with my family, with my children, where they're supposed to be. But in Satan's going to be like, oh, you didn't pray at all last month for your kids. That's why they're going through what they're going through. And you're like, and then you start taking the, the, the weight of that yeah. on you. And that can really, because charismatics, we don't like, you know, we're obviously, you don't want to be identified with the greasy grace where we sit around and, and God's up to everything. So we're like, we're going to work. We're going to pray. We're going to read. We're going to serve. But then also that can get to an extreme as well. And so I want to um, go to a scripture, Acts 4.33. And the sermon title is called Great Grace or Grace Grace. And it's pretty funny, but you'll, you'll, see, you'll see why. Acts 4.33. And I think that um, it, it's been fun studying grace, because even though it can be tainted sometimes by friends and family, I got people tell me all the time, I don't need to go to church, the grace of God, I don't need to do this, I don't need to tie. And you're just like, oh my gosh, I hear grace so much that you, grace has just enabled you to, y'all to be lazy and not do the word. And then the Lord was starting to show me that's not what it is. Let me show you really, really what it empowers you to do. And it's a, really a powerful thing. So I was like, okay, well, so we've had a great, um, just in the last, last night and this morning, just been studying Acts 4.33. And we're going to come back to this at the end, but I want to read this at the first part. Um, it says, and with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. I'm going to read that in the Amplified. With a great ability and power, the apostles continuously testify unto the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace, God's remarkable loving kindness and favor and goodwill rested richly upon them all. What I think is interesting about this verse is that the apostles were going around doing the works of Jesus with that great grace that was on them. It was on them all the time. And it it says that it was richly on them all the time. It's not something they had to, they turned off, turned on, they lost it, they got it, they earned more of it, they didn't. They were, you know, praying and reading that week, and the grace was working, and the week that they maybe weren't reading and studying, the grace wasn't working. No, it says that it was on them, and they continuously was testifying, and God's loving kindness and favor, and, and the favor of God that was, is on you all the time. 
It's, and Dad was preaching this last night. You are the, we are the body of Christ. That means that everywhere we go, the anointing comes with us. The favor comes with us. The grace comes with us. I mean, it's, it's 4 o'clock in the morning, and you're in your PJs and slippers and walking in the gas station. The grace, the favor, the anointing is still on you. It's in you. You are the body of Christ. You are Jesus, the body of him. And we have to start thinking that way, that God's grace is richly on me all the time. That means I'm having unmerited favor all the time. So I'm going to ask, what, is, what does grace mean? Well, unmerited favor actually means that <clears throat> um, merit means to be worth or entitled. Um, unmerited favor means it's undeserving favor. It's a, it's a spiritual blessing or so it's actually something that you, um, actually worth or entitlement given to someone who has none, and they don't deserve it. Access to all the riches of God and receiving it only by faith. I actually wrote that. So it's a worth or entitlement given to someone who doesn't have it, you don't deserve it, and you actually get all the access and riches to God, and how do you get it? You're going to receive it by faith. Grace and faith are going to work together, and then you'll see that um, faith works by love. So that's where you can hinder grace by getting out of love. But we'll, we'll actually get into that a little later. So you're not, there's nothing you're going to do to earn this grace from God. It was something apart from you he gave freely. He gave Jesus. This is to your spirit man. This is on you all the time. That means that whether you're, you're, when you're giving, you rest in that, that it's God's grace that's on you. It's this, the, he's made you worthy. He's healed you. He's delivered you. Your finances are blessed because why? Because you're giving a lot? Yeah, I mean, that, that he told you to give. But really, it's not so performance, but it is his grace that is enabling you to do that. And I like to think of it this way. Imagine a king has a castle. You're not worthy to come in, sit before the throne, and talk with... Actually, you are now worthy to sit before him at the throne, talk with him about anything. You can search through the castle and find out how much stuff belongs to you because he now has given it all to you. Or you can say thanks, you can walk out, you can live as a common man. You still have access, but you choose not to come in and search. So, um, you know, you can go back out after, that's what grace to me is. The king has given you access. Now, whether you decide to go in and find all that grace and all that God has for you is up to you. And that's why some people, they go, um, they have God's grace, but you don't see more that happens in their life because they walk out. They go back out and mow grass, even though the king has said, hey, you can live here. Yeah, have you seen the movie King Arthur? Um, I don't know if it's a, I mean, it's, it was a pretty clean movie. Um, it was on Netflix. And King Arthur was the king, king's son who lived in a dump. And he lived, he would go out and drink and lived in a pig, pig dump. With, and, you know, he had a guy took care of him because he's a king's son. He's one of the old, oldest sons. He didn't like the way his dad was running the kingdom. So he decided to go live as a common man, dress in common clothes. But the funny thing was, is he was still the king's son. And he was the king's firstborn son. And then his little brother, they tried to, you know, groom him to be, you know, uh, take over the kingdom. And his little brother got himself killed. And they come back to the king's son who views himself at this point. I don't want anything to do with the kingdom. And I feel like that's how sometimes God's children are. God has graced them and just given, it's all free. But they're out still trying to earn it. They're out mowing grass even though they're the king's son. So that's what grace really is. It was, it's free. It's yours. You can walk to the castle. You can have anything you want. And he, God did that on his own free will. It's nothing that we're going to do to like earn more Amen. of God's favor. Amen. All of it's already yours. It's on you all the time like the disciples had it on them. So I, I kind of, later in the movie, he, he decides that, you know, to go back and become the king's son. And that grace that was on him when he stepped back into that place... I mean, he went to war on that kingdom, and he, I mean, he was tearing it up. I think King Arthur has one of the, uh, one of the great stories of, of winning battles that, for armies that were twice or four times his size. Why? God graced him to do that. God has given not only just a grace of, of, of what's personally he's given you, but there's a grace on you to do something as well. Now, I believe that that grace doesn't really come into effect until you decide to step into the will of God. Yes. Yeah. Um, that's, you can't be outside of the king's castle and have all and access the benefits. I mean, you're not there. So once you step into that, then there's not only the grace that God has provided through Jesus and the cross, but then now he's providing 
uh, a spiritual gift that belongs to you now. Amen. So I want to read um, Zechariah 4.6, and it's right before Matthew, right before Malachi. So if you go Matthew, go two books back. You're going to see the grace of God on, Zachar- on Zerubbabel. Did I hear you say that? Zerubbabel? <laughs> Get to heaven. How you doing, Zerubbabel? <laughs> I bet I wouldn't be the first person. Hey, what's up, Z? <clears throat> I wouldn't be the first person to mess his name up. So I'm going to give a little bit of a backstory. The children of Israel are coming out of exile. Right now, they're coming out. They have no finances. They have no wealth. They don't have time to build their money up. God says, I want you to rebuild the temple. And they're going, how? We just came out of exile. We don't have tools. We don't have money. We don't have nothing. And here's what God says to him. Because Zechariah comes to him, and he says to him, he says, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. It's not going to be by might. It's not going to be by power. But it's going to be by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? They had a great mountain before them. A big destiny, something that's big. And they're looking at it going, there's no way we're going to do this. And it's not going to be by their might, their intellect, how smart they are. It's not going to be by the connections that they're going to make. It's God saying, I'm, I'm going to get the glory out of this. So he says, before you, Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain. So he's saying, this mountain that stands before you, you're going to say, become a plain. And it shall bring forth the capstone. The capstone is the, the final piece on top of a, on like a temple or a building. It's the boom, the ending piece, last part. With shouts of what? Grace, grace to it. Sometimes, and I was reading, watching Joseph Prince, he says, when you have a mountain, look at it and say, grace, grace. Don't try to pull the mountain down with your power, with your might trying to get connections, trying to, who, are, am I smart enough? Yeah. Am I anointed? He right. said, no, you're going to go to God and you're going to say, grace, grace to this mountain. Yeah. You'll bow before me and become a plane, yeah. is what he's saying. And how's it going to happen? By his spirit is how it's going to happen. Yeah. So that's when, you know, and so they go on. And um, what happens is, is King Darius, he ends up, this grace produces favor with King Darius. Um, I don't, uh, King Darius is a, he's not a part of the, the Jewish lineage. He's not, he's an outsider. But the king gives him favor and money, all the resources. And he says, go make it speedily. And when Zechariah prophesied this to him, this is what Joseph Prince said, in one year the temple was built. For 14 years or 17 years, the temple stayed there in an unfinished state until the word of the Lord came. So how was it by? It was by his grace. So sometimes your life, you're looking at your finances, you're looking at your bank account, you're looking at your healing. How is this going to happen? It's going to be by, like with the scripture in Acts, great grace or grace grace. Sometimes, and you know, sometimes I've looked at situations that just said mercy. God, have mercy on me. But now I'm looking at situations saying great grace. God, have your grace on me. So he was telling a story that um, in the, I was watching a video of him, and he says he was trying to check out at a hotel and he asked for a late checkout. This is Joseph Prince. And he said the, the, he didn't have a lot of time to pray because the lady was like, let me ask my manager, and she turned, and he just said, Lord, great grace. Great grace on me. And they turned around, and they said, you know what? Really, we're not supposed to give right now, but we're going to give you the latest checkout possible. He said, I didn't have time. He says, You're in a, there's a car in front of you, and it stops. You don't have time to say, pray a prayer. Sometimes you just say Jesus, or you say grace. God, have grace, great grace. So he says, I just say great grace. You don't have time to say a lot of things. And I think the Lord likes it when he gets the honor and the glory for something. And so in this situation, they're coming out of exile. They don't have a single thing. And God says, I'm going to show you what I'm going to do. And to me, that really is a great grace. And it really goes to show you that there's things in our life we're believing God for. And it's really going to be by a great grace that does it. As much as we would love to contribute, and we do, and the Bible says to give and tithes and offerings and to pray and to believe for your healing and take it. But at the same time, you have to go back to that the, Jesus has finished his work and sat down. 
I'm not, God is not going to get up and do anything else. And he's already promised that this is already ours, and you have to just rest in that. So what does grace look like in your life? Grace is the family you're born into. That's grace. The people God brought to you, that's grace. The gifts and talents, the abilities that God gave to you, that's grace. Uh, I want to tell you a cool story. Is this selling here? I'm going to tell you a story or so. I meant to share this one night. So this is a really a story of grace. Um, and thank God that, you know, through his obedience and, and obedience that brought this to happen, because there has to be obedience with grace. You can't, it can't be all about grace. Osel could have stayed home and said, grace, you know? But um, he would have never gotten it if he wasn't here. So Mary Fran came in at kind of a spur of the moment, and she said, gather the young people up. I want to pray. Did she, did she even come and preach that night she did, or that no, weekend? Saturday night. She just flew into town. She didn't tell nobody. She wanted to hear about Israel, and then she looked at me, and she said, I had a vision the other night that there was a group of young people in your church, only maybe like seven or eight, and we were in a circle praying. She goes, can you make this happen? I said, if you tell me to do it, Mary friend, I'll make it happen. So I guess what, I called everybody. Guess what? Everybody said yes right away that I called, and they came, maybe like one person. And Ocell um, will tell you that, you know, in the past, he's tried to learn music, but he says after that night, Mary Fran anointed everybody and anointed their head, their lip. I mean, she poured oil on everybody. And um, he said that kind of after that night, he started hearing sounds in his ears. And then he started, like, hearing stuff. And, he, and then he, so then he said he went back and you picked up something and started playing it. And he said it started clicking. That, to me, that's a great grace. Yeah. That was a grace that God just, that's a gift that God just gave, gave you. It's not something that you're going to, that he had to earn, that he was striving for, that he was went down chasing, meeting after meeting, trying to get some anointing. He just was obedient, and he's here at this church. And I called him and said, hey, Mary friends, asked for young people. He just said, okay, sure. He just answered the call, came down, and boom. God just put, poured a grace out on him. Yeah. And, um, yeah. and that was something that Osell will testify and say that God did. It's not something that he did. And so um, grace also looks like the church and the pastor that he puts you in that's here. That's a grace that God gives you. The books that he brings to you, grace. The favor in your life, your job, grace. Everything that belongs to Jesus is yours, and that was done by grace. God's grace has already done everything. We're not trying to get him to do anything. He's already done his part. God knew everything you needed before entering into the earth. I was thinking the other day, and the Lord was talking to me about this, during the whole gas crisis thing, and I'm like, I need to get solar panels on my house, I need to buy a Tesla, <laughs> I'm not going to be, you know, I'm not going to be, when the world starts falling apart, I make sure I got all my ARs and my ammo, and, um, <laughs> you know, and a part of as a man, you're a provider, you're a protector, your goal is to um, make sure other people, I got to make sure I plant a garden, that way I have enough for me and everybody in the church. And the, and the Lord looked at me and, and kind of said this. He said, did, did you not think that I planned you being here at this time? That I knew all this was going to happen? Yeah. Did, I, did you not think that I knew that there was going to be days where they, you know, gas shortage? I'm not going to leave you here on earth stranded, no car, no gas, you know, running around with your AR trying to survive. You know, because <laughs> you watch all the movies, right? And you see how the movie starts with a pandemic worldwide, and it wipes everybody out. And then you're like the driving around in a Jeep, and people have mutated into monsters, and you're blasting them with your AR. You know, like, you, too many movies, right? <laughs> uh, or, or, you know, you're Will Smith, and you're the last guy on earth. And you got a dog. <laughs> and you're like, this is what this world's coming to. I knew it. Those movies prophesied it. And the Lord said to me, did you not, did I not know this time yeah, was coming? And I, he said, I actually made you for this time. I yeah, placed you here. I'm not going to leave you here stranded, struggling, no food, no water, beating your neighbor to try to get the last fish out of the lake so you can eat. You know what I mean? There's these thoughts of fear. You, you know, you guys know what I'm thinking. You know, the stores are empty. They're out of food. It looks like Venezuela. The next thing you know, everyone's fighting at Winn-Dixie, so then you're running to the neighbor's lake, pulling all the bass out you can get. You know, you're just, you're going, these thoughts are going through your mind, getting all the gas, because you know how people are, they're grabbing all the gas they can get. <laughs> and, and that's how the world is reacting right yeah, now. Yeah, they think yeah. the world's ending, they're going to go out and try to preserve their life. Yeah, and the Lord said to me, I knew you were going to be here. I knew you needed a car. 
I knew you need food. Yeah. I didn't put you here so that you could go through next 20 years of doomsday and try to survive until I come. And I said, oh, okay. So, you know, that really put me at just resting in his grace. That he knew the time to put us in. That's on him. I'm... your own performance. I'm trying to preserve myself. Now, I think it's wise to be smart. I mean, we got food, water, I got stuff. You know, I don't think that, like the ant, the Bible says, become like the ant, store up. But don't get so worked up that it's like, you know, the world's ending and I'm going to preserve my own life. And and God goes, "Um, I'm God. Did you forget I'm up here? Because some days it's like that. You're out there scrambling for stuff and God says, hello. Uh, did you not know that I made you and that I'm gonna, I love you more than you love yourself? I love you more than your family loves you. Yeah. And he does. He loves our families. He loves us. And um, Andrew Walmack says that he, God cares more about you than you do. Yeah. And your own mother and father do. Yeah. He watches over you. He says he cares more about you than the birds. Yeah. And why is he going to just let you, you know, starve and, and go through these things? So that was something that he kind of, um, but he, everything that he knew you needed, he, he put it here before you came. And it creates a sense of peace knowing that. And living by grace and faith is constant. You're not up. You're not down based on how things look. God loves you more than that. And um, if you're always based up and down based on what's happening, you're running on highs and lows. You're really carnal. You're not really resting in the fact of what, that God's peace and God in you, you're really, it's, it's, you're, it's what you're doing to save yourself. And that's, it's, that's carnality. It's based on emotions. Um, and that's where you have to um, just be careful. So, um, let's see. What is, um, what is God's part of grace, and then what's my part? He wants you to understand and believe and receive by faith what he's already provided for you. So he just wants you to receive it. Faith isn't something you do, then God responds. If you had a Bible study that week, if you were holy, if you prayed a lot, then it moves God to action once you do enough. Faith isn't something you do to get God to do something. Faith is just your positive response to what he's already accomplished by grace. It's how you appropriate and receive what God has already provided. That really does take a load off, um, you know, just your performance. Uh, I'm not a sick person trying to get healed. I have health and wellness, but Satan is trying to steal it. God places power inside of me, and I'm not trying to get God to move. The Christian life isn't about trying to get God to move or do anything. It's about renewing your mind to the truth of God's word and receiving it into the physical manifestation of what he's already done. Now, one thing I love what Andrew Walnack said was, he showed him and his son that you're at a high place and you already have the healing. Yeah. And, but Satan is trying to pull you from that place. Yeah. He's trying to pull you down or right. take it from you, but you already have it. Right. Yeah. You're not trying to get the healing. Right. You already are the healed. Right. But what Satan does is he tries to steal it and tell you, no, you're trying to get it. Right. No, you've already got the healing. Yeah. Yeah. You have to just realize, no, Satan, that's mine. Take, give it yeah. back. Get off me in Jesus' name. Release me. That way you're not, oh, I'm trying to get wealth and finances. I'm trying. You're always striving and squalling and bawling, trying to get the blessings of God. It's easier when when you know that you've already have all that in Christ, and it's already yours. But then what he's saying is what you need is a revelation of what God has already given you. Like I said with the king, everything belongs to you. But because you decide to walk out and go mow grass, that's on you. It's already in the castle. So God has already placed all the, the blessings of God, the healing is in you. And one thing that um, John Lake said was the problem is as Christians become saved and then they never transform, transform the life of God from their spirit into their soul, yeah. which actually gets into their body. Yeah. Yeah. So what happens is because they don't renew their mind and they live a 30% of the Christian life or, yeah. or a 35 or 40% Christian life, which he says it does not work that way. The Christian life has to be spirit, mind, and body. So your mind is your, your will and your emotions, right? So you're, what you're doing is you're renewing your mind to say, okay, I'm gonna, the blessings belong to me. I have to get this in me. Because when you start to believe and then now grace and faith work together, then, it, then you're bringing it into you. Because the problem is, is everything's in, your, in, the, in the spirit, but you don't have that manifestation yet. Oh, my body's not healed. I don't feel healed. Well, that's why you have to get what belongs to you, to, it's in you, in your spirit, man, to come through your mind, and then it manifests in your body. So um, Lake said that you have to become so possessed with Jesus and the mind with Jesus yeah. that when he says when he was transfigured, 
not only did the Spirit of God come from his spirit, but it actually radiated and the disciples saw his spirit, Mm -hmm. the spirit of God. That's how full of God Jesus was. Paul was so full of God that when he would touch handkerchiefs, Peter, when they would walk past his shadow, it was radiating out of him. So that's what he's saying in here is that you're not, the grace is not going to work just being that it belongs to you. It actually has to get, you're going to put your mind and you're going to renew it and you're going to rest in the finished work. And that's why you're quoting scripture, you're reading it because you're getting it in you, and the next thing you know, it goes into your body. You're, that's where healing comes from. It starts coming into your, you know, your finances start coming in, into the natural, and it's there all along, but the problem is, is because grace and faith have to mix, um, you know, to, like a concrete to make a substance. And when it's just all grace, then it's all God's doing it. If it's just all faith, then it's all my performance. But when you mix faith and grace together, it's me working, um, it's me studying and learning what belongs to me and resting in that belongs to me, and then God's grace is bringing it in. Like with, um, you know, uh, what was it, Zerubbabel, he listened to the prophet, but then he went and he still did the work. Yeah. But he wasn't striving to make the temple rebuilt. And then in one year it was built. He wasn't out putting on a campaign, trying to raise money. So that's the difference in resting and um I want to, God's grace has already been given to you. Um, what, it's already placed in you, in your spirit. So the love, the joy, the peace, the long-suffering, goodness, faith, meekness, gentleness, temperance, blessing, spiritual gifts, natural gifts. The Bible says you're complete in him, right? All you have to do is realize that it's in there. You just have to meditate and bring it out. So a lot of people think, oh, well, I'm just an angry person, or I just get upset easy. Well, no, God's given you the grace in your spirit, man. You just have to open the love chapter, and you just have to bring it out of you. But the problem is, is you've never developed um, your soul, your renewing of your mind. So that's why people think, oh, I'm working, and I'm trying to get to where I'm more patient. You know, patience is the grace that was given to you. All you have to do is just go in there, read and go, oh, that's me. That was something that was given to me. Study it. Speak it. Boom. You're, you're pulling it from the inside. You're up here, seated with Jesus, and if you end up falling from that, you're stepping down. It's, everything is already yours. That way your patience is yours, um, goodness is yours, wealth is yours, meekness, faith is yours. You're not trying to, oh, if I just had more faith. Yeah, it's already yours and you're going to develop it. But that really takes the work out of, you know, and the Lord was telling me one time, you know, you have a patience in you. Just bring it out. Mm-hmm. Study it. And then that will activate the grace that I've already put in you. Not not to try so hard to go, oh, I got to work on getting patience in in me. No, it's in you. You just got to work on stirring it up. That's why he says stir up the gift of God. Um, He's placed, uh, let's see. But yeah, too too many times we fail because we're trying to make it happen. Like one thing I thought was pretty neat is my truck has the ability to go off-road. And I see people who, who they don't even, like when I first bought it, I didn't know it had anything. I just drive it on the road but it has all these features and abilities. But why? I don't know what they are. I've never studied them. Yeah. It can, if it got stuck in the mud, I wouldn't, when I first bought it, I wouldn't even know how to get it out. And that's kind of like Christians. All the stuff belongs to them, but they don't know how to access it. And then I started studying the truck, and okay, this four, I was like, wow, four-wheel high, you can drive 100 miles an hour with four-wheel drive. I didn't know my truck could do that. So you, it has the ability to go off-road, but until you learn about that and you get that in you, yeah. you have no idea how to access it. Um, so the last, um, last thing on, on the goodness of God and the grace of God is you must labor to enter into rest. We're going to go to Hebrews 4.11. This is where the Lord has been dealing with me this week on really just resting after I've, I've prayed, I've sowed, um, giving it to him. But the problem is, you know, we're always in, our flesh wants to do something mode. Like, okay, I did this, now I need to pray and fast and um, <clears throat> do something else. And, okay, God, what else do I need to do? What else do I need to do? Yeah, yeah. You know, let's make this thing happen. Instead of just going, like the other night, yeah. I was, you know, praying about some, some money things, and I was like, oh, I got to decide whether I got to take all the stuff back 
and you know, return it. I think I made a bad business decision. I'm like, I'm going to go home and pray tonight. And the Lord goes, why don't you just ask me? I said, okay, what should I do? He said, you, if you want to do this, I'll bless you. If you want to take it back, take it back. But I'm thinking, I'm going to pray all night to get God answered. And I'm thinking, wait, what, wait what, what's wrong with me? I got to do something more to make, I, I'm supposed to be blessed right now. I bought this as a business investment. I thought this was going to be making money by now. And the Lord said, are you blessed because you made a good business? I mean, that, that does help. But are, or are you blessed because I said you're blessed? I'm over here trying to make prosperity happen for me. And then when it doesn't start happening, I start getting anxious. I'm up all night thinking, oh, God, what have I done? It's me. It's me. I need to, I got to return this. I got to invest into here. Oh, I should have did this. I got to call my brother. You know, next thing you know, I'm up all night and you have anxiety yeah. because now it's no longer you're entering into rest. Now you're helping God. I sowed my 10%, but now I, I really need to make sure this business I know, you know, because then it, what happens if you're in a business deal with somebody else? Now this person's relying on you to make business decisions. But God's saying, I want you to give it to me and rest. You do all this you know that you can do. You see the market, the way things are going. You want to invest. You want to start a business. You're going to sell your cars. You're going to do what you know to do the best you know how. And then God says, I want you to rest. And he says in Hebrews 4.11 that um, let us be diligent to enter into that rest lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. So what he's saying is you're really going to have to work at not trying to be in go mode all the time, yeah. trying to do something mode. all. The, you're going to have to really work at going, okay, calm down. Mm-hmm. I've, I, give, I give tithes. I give offerings. Mm-hmm. I give. Mm-hmm. I'm blessed. I'm not blessed because this is going to work out because, you know, you do. You want things that you're investing in to work out. You want this money to come. You want healing to happen. But is it, that's why it's going to happen, because you're kind of up over it all night, watching it going, you know, being anxious? Uh, no, it, uh, hope deferred, anxiety, it'll make your heart sick. Then you're really not resting in God. Now it's all based on you. You're going to make this happen. And then, then you're really destined to fail. Yeah. So I just kind of learned to say, well, um, you know, I, I prayed about before I did this. I believed that I thought that I heard from God. And that's where his grace comes in. His grace is sufficient. And I believe when he told that to Paul, he wasn't saying, well, I, my grace is good enough to what you're going through. I think when he's, God's the man of the universe is telling Paul, my grace, it's like putting a cruise ship in a lake saying, you're, you're going to, you know, if you need a, this boat, it's here. And that's way bigger more than you need. It's going to be way more sufficient than what you really need. And so my grace is sufficient for you. And everything you're going through, and you're not, you don't have to try to strive and squall and bawl to make all of your blessings happen, especially in a Word of Faith church. Oh, it's time to run. I better go run. I'm, this blessing better happen, you know. <laughs> and, and sometimes the Lord will say, you, you need to run, and, you know, you've got to get rid of pride, and, and, and yeah. dancing does break things in the spirit. But I think when your heart changes to where you're really like, okay, I'm going to pull this switch, pull this lever, click this, boom this. Um, I mean to make this blessing happen. That's where your heart's really off. Um, So, um, and you know, it's going to be challenged to get a control of your tongue, your actions. It takes effort to get into God's word and start taking control of your thoughts. And the true knowledge of what the word says, it does take real effort. So that's where he's saying, you're going to put some effort into getting in the word and entering into this rest. You start getting anxious, you're going to get in there and say, no, God's a grace. It's sufficient for me. And that's where you're going to put that in front of you all day long. And the great, it's going to be his great grace. And that's what he just gave to us as a free gift. The blessings of Abraham belong to us. Abraham was rich, and he, dad says he sat in his tent, and he made money, and I'm trying to do that too. I want my computers at home to work for me, but then, you know, I'm up at night trying to make it happen. Abraham didn't get out of his tent, and hey, are those cows producing? They having babies? One, two, three, four, five. Where's the 45th cow at? We're losing money here, you know. <laughs> That's where you, okay, I got to get back. I got to get back into the word. I don't yeah. think he even worried about. No, he slept. He slept. He, yeah. he had all these men that he had to take care of, and uh, that was just God's great grace, even the Old Testament. Now, what are some things that are grace killers? Now, this is where we're going to go to Hebrews 12, 14 through 17. So, the wonderful thing of God is that you're not going to do anything to get um, healing, the anointing, the authority, that's all given to you. Amen. 
And sometimes I read books and it just seems like it's, you know, like this is where it gets to there's so much grace that it doesn't really matter what you do. So I kind of was asking the Lord, what happens when a person just kind of decides to, you know, he's got the grace, but then he doesn't want to live, live right? So the Lord started taking me these scriptures. Hebrews 12, 14 through 17. Because, you know, we want this to work for us. Right. For 12, 4, 17, pursue peace with all people and holiness, which out, with, which out, without which no one will see the Lord. Look carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Lest the root of bitterness spring up and cause trouble. You know what a root of bitterness is? It's actually offense that's being harbored. Mm-hmm. It's something you're thinking about all the time. So that's what he's saying is you're, you're thinking about some, you know, um, offense was something that didn't turn out the way that you thought or they thought. Uh, something was said you didn't agree with. Um, getting offended and staying offended, both as a choice. Um, and if you get offended, you just let it, let it go quickly because he's saying here, lest the root of bitterness spring up and cause trouble, and by this many become defiled, lest there be any a fornicator or profane person like Esau, which Teresa did a good thing on Esau, for one morsel of food he sold his birthright. For you know that afterward he wanted to inherit the blessing, and he was rejected, and he found no place for repentance, and he sought it diligently with tears. So I'm going to read that in another translation, the Amplified. Exercise foresight and be on the watch. Be on the lookout after one another. That means watch even after your own friends. See that no one falls back and falls, uh, fails to secure God's grace his unmerited favor and his spiritual blessing, in order that a root of resentment, rancor, which is um, anger, bitterness, and hatred, shoots forth and causes trouble and bitter torment, and by many will become contaminated. So I really think, and you know, Andrew Womack makes a statement that grace never stops working, and I believe that it doesn't stop working, but I believe that you can cut it off. Because God's grace is always extended. But he's saying you become contaminated by... Uh, resentment and bitterness, and now God's grace isn't working at all. So I think there is things we can do to go, okay, well, maybe why is the blessings of God not coming on me? There, I think there is some personal responsibility in this. I'm going to read the message translation. Work at getting along with each other and with God. Otherwise, you'll never get so much as a glimpse of God. Make sure no one gets left out of God's generosity. Keep a sharp eye out for weeds of bitter discontent, a thizzle or two gone to a seed can ruin a whole garden in no time. Watch out for the Esau syndrome, trading away God's lifelong gift in order to satisfy a short-term appetite. You well know how Esau later regretted that impulsive act and wanted God's blessing, but by then it was too late, tears or no tears. Um, Hebrews 10, 26, I just want to read this. For if we deliberately go and willfully sinning, after once acquiring the knowledge of truth, there is no longer any sacrifice left to atone for our sins, no further offering which to look forward. I'm going to read this in the New King James. If we sin willfully, that means if we keep doing it, mm-hmm. after we've received the knowledge of the truth, there's no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which devours the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much more worse punishment do you suppose will be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which was sanctified a common thing, and they insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, say the Lord again. The Lord judges his people. Now, this is talking about the Lord's people. Now, what he's, and the Lord has dealt with me, because um, sometimes being a pastor's kid, you can get into, get into sin, and, you know, God's grace, you hear about it every Sunday, I'm good, I, I don't have to change. You know, people can't really talk any way they want. They can't treat people any way they want to. They can't keep doing. Because what he's saying is you're taking the blood of Jesus, and you're trampling it underfoot, and you're actually treating the spirit of grace as this more common. And God says, I'm going to judge you for that. So we can't take the goodness of God and just keep trampling it and trampling it. Well, I'm just going to live any way I want. I'm just going to have, I can have an attitude and do whatever I want. What he's saying is you're trampling, you're taking the, co- the blood covenant and the blood of Jesus, which he sacrifi- um, uh, sacrificed as a common thing, like what Esau did. He treated his gift of God as just a common thing, and it says that he insulted the spirit of grace. And I believe that it really grieves God that when we're living a life that, 
You know, if people, and he's saying if we keep sinning willfully, that what you're doing is you're just walking on the blood of Jesus like it's a no big common thing. I mean, Jesus became a man, a human forever, a human body, came and it says he endured the cross. That means he, he wasn't going to quit for nothing. And, and no matter what happened, why? Because he knew that he was all the people that were going to be born again. There was the grace, all the grace of God was going to be imparted. And he saw the end result. And he said that he endured that. And so now for eternity, we're going to be able to live with him. And he paid a high price for you, a high price, yeah. extremely high price. And he's saying here is that if we keep trampling the grace of God, we just keep walking in it and it's common, it actually says God's going to judge you for that. And um, I, can, I can tell you a story, and I'm gonna, we're going to end really well because, you know, there is more grace. But I'll tell you a story of a, of a young man that I knew. <clears throat> and for many years, um, I think the Lord had given him grace to change and repent because he was in a homosexual lifestyle. And um, he was brought in a church, and he really started to, seems like he changed his life, and he was working his way up. And then now, next thing you know, he's working with a pastor, and he's really, you know, because people say, you know, with God, he can restore. Yes, he does restore people, but with this person, what happened was is that he never really, to him, he heard so much. I mean, he heard Mark Hankins. He hears everybody. Run, jump, shout. But he never got out of that lifestyle of homosexuality because he always would kind of go back to it here and there. And finally, one day, right before that it caused problems in the church, and before, and I think God exposed it, and, you know, cause, and I was reading in, in a book that, you know, God, that his grace is always. But I, I really do believe that God exposed this right before it happened, and he brought judgment on him. Not that he brought damnation on the guy, but before he touched a kid in the church and he started to make moves on another man, they, it got exposed, and they, they had to uh, exile, they had to kick him out of the church. He had to move back home. He goes to a Baptist church now, and he has no friends anymore that he has. And I think that he had probably close to seven or eight years, kind of like Brother Hagin said, the woman who they kept going back to her, probably about close to about 10 years, right? The pastor's wife, who they ministers, they would go talk to her and speak to her and, and tell her, and she'd never repent. And then it was like, boom, done. And so I do really think that, you know, the Lord, you know, talks to me and says, people do treat it too lightly. And they don't know that one day, that that judgment is going to come on them, and it's because I love them, and I'm going to stop them from what they're doing before they go too far. That's good. In Ezekiel, I think it's three or four, it says that go to a righteous man, because it. I think, <clears throat> I've never really read this before. Dad's read it talking about go to a wicked man, and if you turn him from his sin, you know, the blood, and he doesn't turn, it's on his hands. But if it, you don't tell him, the blood's on your hands. But the next verse goes, if you go to a righteous man, and you tell him to turn from his iniquity, which is sin, and he doesn't turn, but you told him the blood is now on his hands. And the Lord says, I'll put a stumbling block in front of him, and he'll die. And um, it's, I mean, it's talking about a righteous man in the Old Testament. And, you know, because even I think these people still, they, they had a righteousness on them. And so that really makes me think that as Christians, um, we really have to watch how we treat the spirit of grace. That When we get forgiven, it's like, okay, God's blood covered it. I'm going to make every effort to make it a change. I'm not going to cause problems. I'm not going to stay in this situation. Um, and, you know, I believe that God works with us. But I think after a period of time, it's like, you know, you know, like you say to your kids, my grace is about to run out. I'm giving you chance after chance. And then one day your dad or your mom walk in there and say, I'm going to tan your hide now. I've, I've given you this. And so kind of like your, your heavenly father does the same thing. So we can't, you can't expect that people to trample that and, and keep getting away with it. Because there's going to be, it's coming home. Um, so let's go to um, Romans, actually, yeah, Romans 5, 15. And so that's kind of the, the downside of taking the grace too lightly and not being careful with it. Um, you know, when Jesus says come out of the world, he was being serious and saying come out of the world. Too, too many times a day we got people who are still, you know, they got one foot in, one foot out. And, and it says here, um, vengeance is mine and I'm going to repay, says the Lord. I'll judge my own people because they trample the spirit of grace. And I'm like, so I'm, I've been praying, praying for people. And I, and I believe that as we get further, I want to show you that even um, what God even, 
how much more grace and merciful he is even in those situations. Romans 5.15. I don't even know if I started heading there. I, I started. It's on the screen. Romans 5. But the free gift is not like the offense. But if by one man's offense many died, much more. I like that. Frank pointed that out towards me, to me one day. Much more the grace of God. And the gift by, um, by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, abound to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For judgment, which came from the offense, resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in just, justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive an abundance of grace. I believe God loves grace more than he loves pouring out his judgment on people because he talks about much more. My abundance of grace. God is always looking. You mean, think about your own kids and they do something bad, but you're just waiting for that to be over real quick so you can go back and spend time with them. You can go fishing with them. You can love on them. And I believe that's how God is even with people in church that they're being stubborn and they're not changing. They're not repenting. God's like, I love you and I want to put my abundance of grace on you. We're going to stop this real quick and then I'm ready much more to to pour my grace back out. The gift of righteousness will reign in life through one Jesus Christ. Um, I'll jump down to 20. Um, Moreover, the law entered. The offense might abound, but where the sin abound, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness into eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then so he goes on to say, shall we keep sinning that grace may abound? And you say, certainly not. Um, you know, if God tells you don't do, don't do something, and, you know, I, we all struggle with this, but I think him being the guy who created the universe, it may not be a good idea to do it. But sometimes I think people go, ah, you know, I know, but I'll get forgiven. Um, there may be a reason why he's saying don't do it. But I love how it's saying that God is, grace is abounding much more. Yeah. Um, who does God give grace to? James 4, 6. Let's go there. Is grace all the time? <clears throat> I don't think it is because this verse says this. This is why, you know, you have to have a very good mess, good of the grace of God, which means the blessings that are all that he's given you. Plus, there has to be living right. Four, six, to actually enable this. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to who? The humble. The humble. God's grace is not working for you while you're proud. When you humble yourself, then the grace kicks back in. So, yes. you know, in some of the books I've read that it doesn't matter what happens to you in life, God's grace. No, it says it right here. God's going to resist a proud, but he wants, he's going to give grace to people when they get humble. Yes. And I think in order to receive all the goodness of God, all the graces of God, you have, we have to keep, stay humble. That means we're always going before the Lord and saying, you know, check my heart out. Am I, am I proud? Because when you start getting proud... You don't know that you're proud. Other people may know that you're proud, and then they tell you, and then you're telling them that I'm not proud. And that's, you know, the funny thing is proud people don't see that they're proud. Right. Right. Um, and you try to correct them, and then they bite, they bite back at you and tell you why you're wrong, and then they walk off, and you're like, well, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing in it. God, God's not going to do anything in your life yeah. while you're proud, while you're being that way. Like that says, you know, you're you're. The coach can correct you, your teacher, your parents, but sometimes when a pastor says something and they don't receive correction, there's no humility there. And so God's saying God's going to give grace to those that are humble. So there is something that does qualify us for the grace of God. There has to be a humbleness about you to keep it. Um, Ephesians 2.4. And I love this because God is really describing who, who he really is. But God who is rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loved us. Yeah. So he's saying that God, it's, I love when it's describing the word rich. rich. Yeah. That means that even though there's times that in our lives that, you know, God may correct us, that if we don't, people who don't change judgment, 
you know, may fall on them. But God is saying, I'm still rich in mercy and in his great love, which he loved us. And I believe that God is still always, even with people, he's extending that grace, but he's saying, you're going to make this adjustment and you're going to come down from being proud, but I'm, I'm willing, I'm ready to, to meet you back with grace and mercy. Um, and I want to go back to um, Acts 4.33. And I want us to remember this tonight, that great grace and grace is always on us. And with great power, the apostles gave witness of the Lord Jesus Christ, and great grace was upon them. It's interesting how it ties the power and grace together. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked possessors of land or houses sold and brought them the proceeds of the things that were sold. And the land was laid at the apostles' feet, distributed to the each of them than anyone that had need. So it's saying that um, because of this great power and great grace that's on the apostles, next thing you know, you're seeing the benefits and the blessings of God. They're selling land, they're distributing, there's the amazing things of God are happening. But the, it's saying that, that um, amplified with great ability and power, the apostles were continually testifying the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace. God's remarkable loving kindness and favor and goodwill rested richly upon them. You and I have God's great grace that richly rests upon us all the time. His favor is on us, his unmerited favor. It's nothing that you and I are doing to to deserve it, to earn it. You're not trying to get to move God to heal you because of your performance. It's only by his grace. I want to read one thing real quick from this. I think it was pretty, pretty cool if I can find it. I did indent the page. When you understand rest properly, you understand it takes effort to rest. You must labor to rest. When a banker's calling, when your checkbook is read, your spouse has been saying you've got to do something, it takes labor to say, my faith is in God. I'm doing what he's told me to do. I trust him. I'm not going to panic. I refuse to get out of rest. I refuse to get into fear. When the doctor says you're going to die, it takes labor for you to respond. It's not what God's word says. By his stripes, I was healed. I'm not going to be healed. I'm already healed. He's already supplied healing. I'm not going to panic. I refuse to get into fear. And it takes effort for you to rest like this. And I, and I think that if we have this image that God's rich favor is resting on us all the time, it really brings us to a place of peace in our life that the word of God is working because of his grace. And we're not to trample it. We're not to treat it lightly like Esau did. Common. I mean, Esau was giving, God gave him a beautiful gift that he was going to pass the lineage of Jesus through him. And what did he do? Ah, it's common. What is this birthright to me? And I believe people treat the church like that. Oh, it's church. Oh, it's the Lord. And you start treating it common, you're trampling that grace. But I believe that when we humble ourselves, it starts to bring back that, what it says, that great power yeah. that rests upon them. And like with the, in the Old Testament, it's, it was really the Lord that really that did all that. And um, even in the worst place in their life, when they came out of all the exile, he was there saying, it's not going to be how smart you are. It's not going to be how many connections you have. It's not by might nor by power, but it's going to be by my spirit. It's going to be by what I give you. And so I've been, and I just pray that we would, um, you know, when we're tithing, we're giving, we're giving to the building fund, and you're believing God to see things. When you're, when you're getting that healing that already belongs to you, that you're resting in, and you're just going to get it into your body, just keep putting the word. But don't go home and, and get all 20 healing scriptures out and read them and then the next night and next night and you're not seeing it and then you get frustrated. Yeah. You know you're healed because of Jesus has already paid for the healing. Amen. I'm going to just rest in that. And you know what? It really makes you go and I'm going to go home and I'm going to read a healing scripture and say thank you Lord for the great grace, for grace. Yeah. I'm not going to make this healing happen. When you go pray for somebody, you're not going to make them get healed. It's just the grace of God that you're going to say, I'm going to pray, and it's just the grace of God 
we're going to believe that's going to come into your hands, into your arms, into your body, or it's the grace of God that's going to come into this person that you're praying for, their finances, and just really take that weight and put it back on him. And don't, as charismatics and people who believe God, carry all that on us. You know, oh, I need to listen to another, that, that message by Jesse Duplantis again. I'm I'm limiting, or Andrew Womack, I'm limiting God in my thinking. You may be, but I believe that in our growth, where we're at, God knows where we're at, there's, he gives more grace. And so he knows you're not there yet. But all the blessings are still available. And he, you're, you're going from faith to faith, from glory to glory. But you're not, but I think what happens is, is we, sh- we try to, um, what does the Bible say? Let patience have her perfect work. Sometimes I look at man, I'm 31 I should be doing this in my life, and, and these people were here in their faith, and, you know, I, it starts to become, I need to read more books. Um, you know, by the time Mark Hankins was 31, he was preaching all over the world, <laughs> and, and you can really turn everything into a performance. Yeah. I got to be at church and studying and making my notes until you almost get burned out. Yeah. Like, God, what is going on? I'm praying, reading, studying, and I'm not seeing... I'm not, my friends aren't coming into church. It's not, it's not our effort. It's going to be his, his grace. Yeah. That's his end. We're going to, believing is what we appropriate to his, the response to him. Okay, we're just going to believe you and take, that's what they did. The word of the prophet came, we're just going to believe you at your word. And then it's, we believe it's going to happen. I'm not going to strive. I'm not going to go bend someone's arm to give me the finances to rebuild the temple. God, you want this house built? I'm believing God to add on to my home. And build it bigger. And so sometimes I'm thinking, how, how is this going to happen? I got, oh, I'm going to keep sowing it. But, you know, I've just learned that, God, you know what I've asked for. You know that I, my, my property is big enough to handle a, a bigger home, and I want to build this, and I'm going to just rest in you. And if you say sow here, I'm going to sow. And if you say give here, I'm going to give, and I'm going to continue, but I'm not going to keep a ledger like, you know, I have in the past. And I enjoy that because I like to keep track of my giving. But sometimes I'm like, ah, God, I've been giving. What's going on here? I should be Mark Hankins right now, you know. <laughs> but it's his grace that enables it. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, your great grace. When we see situations in our life, we stop taking the, the load of maybe our children, on our finances, of our performance here at church. And, our, and our, maybe we serve you and we do that because we love you. But that's not, we're not getting any more from you, any more favor. You've already unleashed all the favor on us. It already belongs to us. And Father, we take it by faith. We receive healing by faith. We receive everything that we've asked for by faith because it's why. It's because your grace that you gave it. But we don't take it lightly. We don't trample it. We don't keep doing the same things that displease you and the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of grace. But we're going to be humble and we're going to just rest And we're going to go home in peace, Father God, that you put us here on this earth and for our time is right now. That, Father God, that we don't have to be afraid of dying, of getting caught by a stray bullet or ending up in a riot or something. But because because you knew in all your knowledge that you were going to put us here and that your grace was already extended to protect us, to take care of us, and we just rest in that. We're not going to wake up at night with anxiety and fear over loved ones we're praying for, that we want to see come to be the salvation. We're just going to pray, Father, that, that they get saved, that their eyes are open to the truth, and then we're going to go to bed. And we're not going to sit and watch every Sunday if they're walking in the door, because I know I do that, Father. Are they here yet? I've been praying. It's been five years. Where are they at? No, Father, we, we, we give it to you. We pray, we do what you've asked, we believe, but you know what? We're going to lay the burden onto you. It's just your grace, grace. And we're going to look at situations in our life, Father, and just say grace, grace towards my checkbook. Grace, grace towards my family. The grace of God on my friends. The grace of God on my business. It's going to be your unmerited favor. That We did not deserve the blessing, but you gave it to us. It's already ours. We're not going to fight for it. We're not going to step over other people to get it. We're not going to try to, to make connections happen, Father. Father, let your great grace bring the things we need in our life. And we rest in you. I'm, we're not going to go out and try to get into the rat race like the world, trying to make it happen. 
Father, your grace is sufficient. You said that your great grace was on the disciples with power. And Father, I pray that every person would get a revelation of that as they go out, that the great grace of God is on them. Everywhere they go, no matter what time or day or night that situations come, your great grace is on them. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed this message by Word of Life Church. We just wanted to let you know there's a lot more content on our website at wolapopka.com. From our YouTube channel, to our podcast, to our SoundCloud, and many more events. We also wanted to let you know that we love giving you these messages. And it helps us too that if you would love to give to the what we're doing, it helps keep all these messages free. You can just simply go to our website and click the big Give Now button. Or you can text 407-955-5345. And remember, our pastor's vision is this. We grow Christians. So we thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.